enjoyed having Jeremy last week. We talked about the prophet. Dad, Glenn over here, talked about the, the apostle a couple of weeks prior to that. We will get back to the prophet again before it's all said and done. But due to schedules and various things, we're kind of doing this in the, in the way we, we can. But yet it falls very, very correctly. And you'll see why we're talking about that and why I say that here after a while. Um, looking again, you guys, we've read this just about every week, but let's do it again because this is what we're focusing in on. Ephesians 4.11 reading from the New American Standard, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. That's just a snapshot of what most people call the fivefold ministries. And for those of you that have heard that term, you understand that we're saying not that a person is only one thing, but that there is a special anointing on them towards something. There's a special anointing towards the apostolic, towards the prophetic, towards teaching. And I really liked the analogy that Dad said he stole from Danny Silk a couple of weeks ago about what it would be like if those five different types of anointing showed up at a car accident altogether. And if you didn't hear that, go back to our podcast. It's pretty cool. Just the way they look at the scene and they say, okay, What's my part in this? But they all work together as a team, and every piece is needed. And one person, it's almost impossible to fulfill all of that as one person, because you simply can't be everything all the time. That's why he put team and community together for us. And as I was listening to it, my mind goes to the humor of things, and I don't share everything my mind thinks, believe me. But I was thinking that the scene of that accident and looking at all of the different things, I think our NTSB could take some notes on that, on how to help with our transportation safety in this country if they had those five offices every time something came along, don't you think? <laughs> but in 1 Corinthians, this is, this is dealt with again. In 12, chapter 12, verses 27 and 28, it says, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. See why I say this kind of fits the way we did it? Then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, and various kinds of tongues. When, we're, when we have uh, talked about all of these five offices that we've been dealing with, we're not done. We're, we're going to talk about ministry of helps. We're going to talk about those things that are in us that perhaps we haven't even really acknowledged, maybe haven't even recognized in us that give us special giftings towards things. We're going to look at those. We're going to look at the people in the Bible that are like that, that kind of give us a little bit of an, an example of what's going on there. And we're going to look at how that works under the umbrella. You guys have seen our... our our visual imaging, the umbrella of those five-fold offices, keeping everything moving the way God intended. So today we're going to look at teachers. And, you know, I look at that and I look at the list of prophet, apostle, teacher, evangelist, pastor, and I think, well, to me, the teacher is the most understood of all of it. I mean, we all, we all have some opportunity to have teachers in our lives. And for a lot of us, Sunday school was that first opportunity, the first one we, we remember. And remember memory verses? 
every week come in with our little memory verse. And when we look at it, everybody has their favorite teacher. Everybody has their least favorite teacher. Immediately, it starts coming to mind. Good teachers, bad teachers, engaging teachers, boring teachers. And I'm going to date myself just a little bit here, but this is what comes to mind when I start thinking of teachers. You guys want to run that clip real quick? It's very, very fast here. Bueller. (laughs) Bueller. Adams. Here. Adamley. Here. Adamowski. Adamson. Here. Adler. Here. Anderson. Anderson. Here. Bueller. 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 Those from around that can you can stop that now. The, those from my generation remember that kind of flat affect Bueller, Bueller, and that happened many days in a row in that movie. But don't all the students look completely engaged there? I mean, everybody's ready to learn. Everybody's glad to be there. Yes, not quite. But uh, what is it? What is truly intended? by the listing of the teacher and the way it's put from a kingdom standpoint. How are we supposed to look at the Office of Teaching? Today's American church, if you look around for the most part, I'm not saying us necessarily because I think we've got a little better handle on it than this, but the teacher has become accepted as the highest level of anointing. And when I say levels, understand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that God gives more to some and more to others necessarily, but that he gives us these anointings in these these different offices, and what we do with those anointings can reach different levels. What we decide to develop as far as skill is concerned, the steps needed to reach what he might want for us in our lives. And... If you look around at a lot of church bodies, and you just focus in on one, and you'll often see lots of teaching every Sunday for sure, sometimes Sunday night, Wednesday night, a few other nights as well, lots and lots of information, lots of scripture, charts, graphs, PowerPoints, laser pointers, every tool you can think of to get this in us. And yet, you look around, and you don't see anything else. You don't see people getting their lives changed. You don't see that guy like Glenn over there who's kind of wandering around with sort of a vacant look in their eyes sometimes because they're so tuned into what's going on with God that they're just listening for that wind of what's happening. And you can tell that they're in another zone than what you're in right now. You don't see the children stepping up and saying, here's what I think I hear God saying today. But there's a lot of information, and it's good information. You don't see the ministries of helps at work and the fresh life of God moving through. And when that is the case, 
kind of give that a little bit of an average grade, right? It's okay. It's not going to hurt anybody as far as going to heaven's concerned. But isn't there so much more? Isn't there so much more we want to do? And uh, let's take this to me for a moment. Most of you who know me know that I like to wrap my mind around things. I just, I want to know why. I want to know when. I want to know how. And I try not to bug people absolutely to death about it, but I know that I do at times. That's just the way it is. But I want to make sense of the world around me. And I remember as a child, dad telling me stories these days of me just being that kid that he called me Speedy Gonzalez for a while. Because it was just like, why dad? Why daddy? What daddy? How daddy? Who daddy? I was always wanting information. I'm still like that. (laughs) But uh, I know there's many here that are the same. And when we look at it, from our American church culture, kind of gives you a little bit of an idea of why I'm standing here doing the teaching segment, right? Where my brain's going. But when we look at our American church culture, in order to assert our faith or what we believe, we assume that we have to be able to argue a case to a logical conclusion. And we have to be able to prove what we believe is right. Otherwise, why in the world do we believe it? And that's a scary spot to get into. Think about it this way. The very fact that we feel like we need that certainty means that there's great uncertainty. We're battling for finding out why it is that we choose the life that we choose. And when we look around in our church... And we're not seeing what we think heaven is supposed to manifest like. Then all of a sudden there's that need to prove that there's a reasonable reason for me to follow Christ. Because, you know, I'm not seeing anybody getting healed. I'm not seeing this, these manifestations happen. So now I need to turn to logic. I don't know how many of you remember our teachings from the freedom series about the tree of knowledge, the tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This reminds me of that because we've talked about how our knowledge of good can be as damaging, if not more so than our knowledge of evil. And what more would it be than knowledge of good? What I've just talked about that we're doing everything we can to follow this. but just this, and we're not allowing that breath of God in. And it's equally devastating, equally devastating for us to use that knowledge of good that comes out of us not with the breath of God, but for other purposes. And I don't know. I say equally devastating, but I'm thinking it could be more so. More so. So, When the church insists on having a logical culture, okay, so we need a logical gospel to go with that. I mean, how else? And how do we get that? We turn to teachers. (laughs) Because we're trying to figure it all out. And 
those of us who have a call for teaching on our lives, we rise to that occasion because that speaks to us. We, if we're not careful, we will make the mistake of just rising up and doing everything we can to fit together what's needed. And we grab scripture and we twist it and we turn it and in a desperate need to fit it the way it needs to be to make logical sense. And we can look at it like a puzzle. We can see, we think we see a bigger picture, and we're doing everything we can to make those pieces fit into that picture. After all, the scripture is the source of life and truth on the earth, right? Right? No. (laughs) Maybe not. Is the scripture the source of life and truth? No. Jesus is. The breath of God is. This is definitely a tool, and this is to be used. But if all we do is use this, then we end up being like what they called the Pharisees back in the Bible. And we take it and we wield it like a sword against other people because, again, we're trying to get every piece to fit into this puzzle that we think we're trying to fix. And before we know it, Our entire focus is on law and not on life. And when we focus on law, (laughs) there are so many ways to interpret it. I grabbed this from the back prayer room today. Because you guys will notice, often when I come up and I speak, I've got this. There's more Bibles in this thing than I could ever carry. There's more study tools in this thing than I could ever carry. So I'm not neglecting the Bible, but I really wanted to have it in my hand today, and I forgot to bring mine, so I grabbed one from the prayer room. And I love this book. I don't want anyone to think any differently by what I'm saying, because this book is inspired by God. It is incredibly important And it gives us paths, and it answers questions for us. Remember, I'm that teacher person. I like words. I like getting involved in that. And the problem is, though, if we're looking to make this fit something that we need, then we end up dividing and fighting among ourselves, and we're tearing apart the body of Christ instead of being the body of Christ. We end up taking these small issues and letting it divide us and, you know, you know picture a whole bunch of fingers. Because when we need somebody to think like us, we go towards us, right? So you end up with a whole bunch of fingers over here trying to do their own thing and a whole bunch of knees over there trying to do their own thing instead of the body working together the way God intended it. And each teacher among each of those groups is compelled to be right. Whether internally they honestly think they're right or not, they're going to do everything they can to try to be right. And let me show you a little bit of an example here. Or interpretation and understanding this book. Here recently, a few of us had a chance to go to a class that was inspiring and humbling and everything else you could think of about in-depth Bible study and how to look at it. And in that, I was inspired. I heard other people say, 
I'm never going to teach again. Oh my gosh, what if I get it wrong? And I'm thinking, yeah, that's scary. I don't want to get it wrong. Are you kidding? I don't want to get it wrong. But at the same time, if I listen to God and I say what he wants me to say to the best of my ability, if I do get it wrong, then I can apologize, fix it, and move forward. And he's faithful. You hear a lot of back and forth these days where the scriptures are concerned. And there's one side, I'm going to talk about two completely polar opposites here. There's many factions. But one side says, you know, these days we have science. And we're way more modern. We understand things. We have science. We have research. We have all of the ologies these days. Psychology, physiology, geology, biology. We understand more than the folks who wrote this could have. So this, uh, really, it just becomes an ancient document that's really great for history. And we just kind of need to make sure that people don't value this too much, though, because there's no way they could understand our lives now. Tree of knowledge, anyone? And then as a reaction to this, you see the other side who says, now wait a minute. This was divinely inspired. And so we have to go by every single word. It was written directly for me. This, God knew about me when this was written. And every single word matters. I have to follow every single word in this. Very, very literally. The problem with that, to a degree, the words do matter, believe me. But the problem with that side of thinking is you end up making this like a graven image. And think about it. In the Old Testament, God warned them not to do that because he knew that if they carved this item out of stone, out of wood, made a graven image and said, this is God, that they would then worship that thing they could see rather than him. We do the same thing with language at times. We do the same thing with words at times. If we look in here and we say, okay, this is an exact picture of God, then we run the risk of beginning to worship this rather than worshiping him. So I can say that. I'll give you another example. There are words in this book that are not in the Bible. Yes, I know I'm holding a Bible. But there are words in this book that were not in the Bible. Translators took the original in the Greek and the Hebrew, and they've done an amazing job of translating that into something we can read and we can work with today. But there's certain things that they had to do to try to make it make sense to us. For instance, if you come across a word in a scripture that is italicized, you know that the translator put that in there with an attempt to make it make sense to us these days. It wasn't in the original. It wasn't in the original language. 
but they put it in there so that it would make sense to us today. Um, for instance, let's look at this one. 1 Corinthians 12.1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Paul is writing this. Well, I left it in there when I copied it over onto the PowerPoint today. Gifts is in italics. So when the translator was looking at this, he said, okay, I don't understand. If I read it as, now concerning spiritual brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. I'd better put gifts in there so people understand. Well, the problem is, I've heard many times an entire doctrine written around the spiritual gifts based on this. And using that, then we've based it off of something a translator did, not off of the first enlightened word of God. I mean, what happens if that translator is not quite as inspired as the first writer was? Most of the time, that's true. Because most of the time, they're highly educated, highly intellectual people who maybe are more into the intellectual side than into the breath of God's side in their life. Maybe. Not all of them, I'm sure. So what if we read it this way? Now concerning the breath of God, brethren, I don't want you to be confused. I don't want you to be unaware. When the breath of God is moving among you, I don't want you to be unaware of what might happen. Isn't that completely different? Completely different. That's different than somebody saying, here, LaRoyce, here's a gift for you. I'm going to give you some flowers. Here's a gift for you. I'm going to give you a book. We think like that when we think of gifts, that he's handed me this finite thing that is wonderful and amazing, and now how do I use it for him? But he's, he's not putting it in that finite of a box. He's saying concerning me, moving among you, and my breath in your life, don't be unaware. Don't be unaware. So, here's the teacher and me coming back out again. There is a right way to learn. We need to learn to learn. And this holds innumerable treasures for us. And we need to learn to learn, however that is. If you're a person who has a difficulty reading, audiobooks are incredibly available these days. They're everywhere. Tools that you can click on on your phone that lead you right to everything and do most of the work for you. Where you can look at the history, you can look at the richness of something, and suddenly you're not being given a gift in a box anymore you're listening for the breath of God, and you say, Lord, I'm not going to be unaware. Whether it's here, whether it's at work, whether it's walking down that street, concerning the spiritual, I will not be unaware. I will not be ignorant. If we look too literally at the language, it becomes weapons, because why not? The scripture says that we're supposed to throw stones at people and kill them in certain situations, right? So why aren't we doing that today if we're supposed to literally follow every piece? Now, I submit to you that we do 
in a less literal sense, don't I throw words at people and kill people's souls every day sometimes without even meaning to, and sometimes meaning to, sometimes using these words to do that? Man, shame on me if I do that. And God, bring that to my attention because that's not what this is meant for. So what is the role then? If all of that stuff is such easy pitfalls and and things we need to be so aware of as teachers, because I know many of you among, among us have this teaching call. Whether, whether you realize it or not, that person that walks away going, why in the world did they ask me that question? Well, unless you enjoy gossip and you got involved in all of that, more than likely they thought they would actually get an intelligent, well-thought-out, well-prayed-about answer, possibly. Mm-hmm. So... If teachers want to play their true role, the true role that God intended for them in the context of the church, in the culture of the kingdom that we are putting together, we have to be willing to pursue a supernatural lifestyle. And you know what? Talking about these yokes we're tearing off and different things, we have to become uncomfortable with building these walls of arguments and logic around us that shut other people out. And we have to confront the fact that theology alone has no life in it. We have to. And guys, that takes courage. I'm telling you from from someone who knows, it takes courage to do that. It takes courage to stand up here and do this today. I struggled two or three times this week with various things, and some of it was physical, some of it was spiritual fighting for me not to stand up here and do this today. But I'm doing it. Because I know he gave me something to say, and I know he's breaking another yoke. I know that. And I want it broken. We have that tendency towards intellectual thinking. I had a, a conversation with someone here a while back that I enjoyed immensely. And that person was very sincere. And they were, they were asking questions like, but I don't know that I definitely believe in God. I, I don't know that I do. Okay. If you expect me to be upset about that, I'm not. He's not. Well, I mean, do we even see miracles anymore? <sighs> yeah. You've physically seen a miracle. Yes, I have. Gave a couple of examples. Well, then... If you saw a miracle here, why didn't you see a miracle there? I don't know. I want to know. I do. I want to understand that, but I don't know. And I had to say that. I had to, I had to sit there and not let my need to be right and my need to try to make this fit something to win that conversation. Because I don't know. And if I'm trying to solve all the questions and answer all the questions of our world, (laughs) I'm never going to get there. And if I'm trying to solve and answer all the questions of God, I'm not going to get there either. I have to embrace the fact that there's some mystery there. Otherwise, what is faith? What is it? 
but it keeps me pursuing him because I want to know. And I not only want to know, I want to teach it. And you see my title up there. You hear that all the time, those who can't do teach. Mm -mm. Not in the kingdom, those who can teach. Because if you can do it, if you can work with him on something, he can help you teach it. And it doesn't mean it has to be up here from a pulpit. It might be for some of you. But it can be talking to your daughter in the car on the way home from work. It can be answering a question when somebody says, I'm not sure I believe in God. And you teach them that, yes, I walk in the faith that I walk in, and I have a firm belief in this, but I don't have all the answers. And yes, you know me as somebody who likes facts, who likes figures, who enjoys knowing things, but I don't know all about this. I'm pursuing it, but I don't know it. The anointing that's on teachers will always place a high value on education. Always. And I'm not necessarily talking about formal education. That could be part of it for a lot of people. But just education, training, equipping, making it where maybe we don't have to go down this road again. Maybe that car accident didn't have to happen. But the real change that will be seen when teachers walk in the anointing that they are meant to walk in in the kingdom is when they come under the leadership of an an apostolic and a prophetic culture. When I can submit myself under the leadership of men with a calling like Glenn, of men with a calling like Jeremy, and let them feed into my life, and I can listen to what they're hearing from heaven, hear from heaven myself, and bring that down in a way that can be taught and applied in our lives, then I'm fulfilling what God's asking us to do. I would take the passion and the revelation of those apostles and prophets, let them show it to us, replicate it, and let it become truth to apply in people's lives. And yes, I understand replicate means to copy. Yeah, that's okay. It is. It's okay to copy them and to learn how to work on things and to listen to God and let him show me new things and put it all together. We're scared of trying to... We, we think it's not fresh anymore, that we're not hearing God for ourselves anymore, but it's okay. How many of you have ever seen a, a child following their dad through a room doing exactly everything that person does? Talking like them, walking like them, trying to spit like them. I've seen that too. That's okay. We think that's cute. And we look at them and go, yep, you learned to be a man. So why wouldn't we say, yep, you learn to function in the spiritual realm. You learn to let the supernatural come into your lives. You learn to be aware. Copy them. Absolutely. The role of the teacher will take those processes, those things that we've learned, and make sure that we understand how to cooperate with those processes.
And I always go back to our number one role model, Jesus. Look at how he did it, you guys. I mean, when he taught crowds about the kingdom of heaven, he actually showed it to them. He didn't just say, here's what it's like, you know, memorize this and remember that. He said, here's what it's like, memorize this, now let's work with it. Let's show you this. Let's, let's make it work in our lives. And, you know, it is the biggest kind of show and tell out there, isn't it? <laughs> and I want to do a lot more than tell. I want to make sure that my life shows it. Knowing the teaching gift that's on me, it's even hard for me to say it. It's like, well, who do you think you are? I'm a teacher. And knowing that gift that's on me, I want to make sure that I'm not just telling, but I'm showing people who he is. I pray this a lot when we're, when we're getting ready for worship. Lord, let us be the intersection to bring people to you, not just to tell them who you are and tell them how great you are, but to intersect them with you so that they feel it themselves. And as I was preparing for today, I came to this spot, and there's nothing more on my paper. And I kept going back to God and I said, Lord, how does this end? What are we supposed to do? Nothing. And so I talked to Dad today. I said, you feel like you got any tag team on this? I'm not seeing how this is supposed to wrap up. I talked to Mary. Mary, are you hearing anything? And I said, if God talks to you about something, let me know. Because this is part of the vulnerability, you guys. I don't know if I'm not supposed to catch it, or if I just wasn't catching that breath, or if there's something he's supposed to tag in on the end of this to finish it, but I need to trust in the fact that we are a team, in the fact that we work together and we have very different calls and ministries that pull in. And I'm going to give it to you now and see what wind you've caught on the end of this. I'm reminded of one of my old teachers, Clark Taylor, in a room with about as many apostles and prophets as we have people in this room. And he was strongly telling them, if you can do it, you can teach it. And you gotta go back into the spirit. He said, you guys will have a hard time doing it, but you gotta go back into the spirit and say, God, this happened now how do I bring that to where the people have confidence that they can do it? And it's really through teachers that uh, for me, almost every person that walks in a fivefold calling has a secondary calling, and mine would be teacher, the, the secondary. But the, the thing is, is you can go in and ask God, say, oh, God, you worked through me right there. Now, how can I teach Jeremiah to do that? How can I teach Leslie to do that? And it goes. It just keeps the cycle going, where you understand. And I, as I as I think of the funnel that comes from heaven, I, I see the, the when it starts to touch earth in the in a way that's usable. It starts with the teacher. The teacher begins to talk about how to use these things and how to work with these things. And then the pastor and the evangelist really bring it into the natural, and they pick it up and they actually put feet on it. And most teachers. 
Remember, I talked about the five-fold ministries, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, teacher. If you use that analogy, look at my two fingers on the far right that's representing the pastor-teacher. They're just together. They're, they're there. That, that pastor's pulling from the teacher, and the, and the teacher's pulling from the pastor. The evangelist can readily touch it, but it's just there for the pastor-teacher. Some people have even thought maybe it's a fourfold calling because those are so intertwined, but it's really not because you've got to, each one of those has to be functioning into pulling something out of God, but understanding that God has chosen to work in His way, and you're our American uh, independent spirit trying to do it another way doesn't impress Him. He said, we're going to do it this way. And He does that because He's God. You know, He, he acts like He's God or something. Guess why? Because He's God. And He tells us, this is what will work, You'll think something else will work, but this is what will work. And if you'll do this, then you'll have the mighty hand of God working among you. Does he do some things independently? Absolutely. But he chooses to work in this way among the people. And he chooses to draw you out to where you can touch all of those anointings. And they will operate every day in every facet of our community. You get, a, you get a, a prophetic guy building a church, and you'll have a strongly prophetic people. And you get an apostolic guy building a church, and people will become apostolic without even knowing it. I was smiling at this this morning. I don't think Sandra will mind. Sandra sent a message that she's going to be at another location celebrating a, uh, some kind of an anniversary or something at the church where she was first saved in. And that she had had opportunity to speak up. And I was thinking, that's the way of an apostolic people. She sent a message to the team so we would know that she wasn't here. It wasn't going to be here. You could tell that she was not apologizing in any way. Why? Because she knows part of what we do is we go and we touch other people. That's apostolic. That's what you do. You don't apologize for it. You don't explain it. You just do it. And I'm, I'm just smiling and saying, yes, Sandra, you go. And the Spirit of God will be on you, and we'll see what happens out of that. I don't care if there's no testimony comes out of it. She will know that the presence of God that is with her and in her touched other people other than this house this Sunday, perfectly free and encouraged to do that, part of being an apostolic church. Understanding that, yeah, we've, we started from the beginning. You don't, uh, you, you don't, have to feel compelled to be here all the time. I hope we can build something where you want to be here. But you don't have to feel compelled. If, if you need to go see Grandma, go see Grandma. The presence of God will go with you. If, you're, if you have a place of leadership, make sure that's covered. But then go see Grandma. <laughs> Folks, this is, this is foundational because God is, just, God is getting ready to do something beyond what I've seen. I can't identify it. I can't explain it, but I have felt this feeling before. I've been in this presence before. God is going to break loose on a new level. Guess what? We haven't had him bound up, but we've been bound up. Maybe I should say he's going to break us loose on a new level, and we'll see what happens. But all of this is preparation, laying foundation so that we can build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, I've, I run into people occasionally that say, well, we don't believe there are modern-day apostles and prophets. I'm sorry, but we'll go ahead and act as if the Word of God is true and keep moving. It's just kind of what we do.
Father, we thank you so much, and thank you, Leslie. But Father, thank you for your anointing. Thank you for your representation among us. Thank you for teaching us, God. Lord, I thank you for these who care about bringing the intensity of that presence to the people and helping them to know that they walk in it. Thank you for that. God, go with us. Don't let us get away from the truth of this. God, I'm so impacted this past week by the statement where you find truth, you find God, and God, help us to walk in truth. Help us to walk in truth. God, lay hold of those that do not yet know you. Draw them to you. Because, God, our friendship that we have with people presents them to you in a whole different way. And God, those that we love, we present to you saying, God, don't let them go. Lay hold of them and draw them to you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.